How you doing? Doing okay. So like uh, cheese curds, coffee, and pretzel sticks. That's a good breakfast, right? <laughs> Welcome to the so. Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. What did you have for breakfast today? You eat breakfast? You're a breakfast guy? Um, yes, most most of the time I have something. So today it was apple bread with the last of the apples from October. Just in time Holy to... Holy smokes. Um, yeah, pick some more. So we still had some in the freezer. Kids like, you should, you should use those before you go apple <laughs> picking again. <laughs> I was going to ask, how did you process them so that they lasted this long? Because there's, you know, like in Little House on the Prairie, they just had barrels of apples like in their root cellar. I don't know how to do that. I would be worried about that. Yes, because you th- at the bottom of the barrel there'd be some weird apple concoction, apple uh, fermented apple squeezins. Well, right, like you'd have to have a tap at the bottom of that barrel. Yeah. Like on the top would be regular <laughs> apples, and underneath would be apple soup. Yeah, it just gradually turns into your composting apples. That's where we get apple cider vinegar. It's from I, the sure, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, we just froze them. <laughs> a million years ago. At my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Apple bread, that sounds good. I have this mini loaf pan. It makes eight mini loaves. Uh, You don't do Instagram, but I'm always putting up videos of me making little breads in them. But I have been given recommendations for making sweet breads in there, like mini loaves of, you know, like a uh, banana bread, apple bread, pumpkin bread, things like that, which I'll have to try out once we get a little cooler outside. Yeah. I have seen um, some of your doodads because uh, um, I've inched my way back onto Facebook just a little bit to communicate with some folks. So uh, I've, I've caught some of your mozzarella stuffed sourdough yeah. and whatnot. Yep. I, I'm moving away from that a little bit because I discovered that the uh, there's a recipe that I got from King Arthur Flour that makes two sort of medium-sized round. They're kind of like sourdough, but they're not really because it's a yeasted bread. But it's that sort of thing, like a round sliceable like table bread, right? But the loaves themselves are kind of little. They're like they're they're smaller than my regular loaf would be, because it's a 600 gram batch, and I do an 800, so I have two fours. Those are my my loaves. So this produces two threes, but one six is too big, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I've figured out a way to scale it so that I can get demi baguettes, and I can get eight of them out of that, and it comes out pretty darn well. So I'm that's my new thing. Nice. Yeah, and it's just a little too large for like a big sandwich. Which is okay, because then it's just like an extra big sandwich. <laughs> All right. Uh, ready to get into this? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I was going to say, though, it sounds like you're enjoying the Canadian wildfire smoke. You know, I am a little bit stuffed up today. You're not wrong about that. We did, so this is Wednesday. Yesterday, Chicago had, quote, the worst air quality in the world. I don't know if I believe that. It was hazy, but, like, it wasn't deadly. My daughter is in a camp. They had them inside most of the day. My son is in a baseball camp. They definitely had them inside. I'm a little sniffly, I guess. But, like, I wonder if it's the worst air quality in the world, parentheses, where air quality is tracked. 
Because yeah. you see, like, I don't, I, I do not want to claim this as being fact, but you see, like, statistics about, well, there's this city in China where it's just entirely industry and it's black smoke all the way down to your knees. Air quality's probably worse there. I don't yeah. know that for certain. I'm not a meteorologist or an environmentalist or anything, but uh, it seems it's just a little bit delicious outside. It just smells a little barbecuey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was that way here, too. We were getting some of it. It was a little hazy yesterday, and, uh, uh, I don't. I don't feel like I was affected by it uh, yeah. too too much, um, but um, it was definitely you could see it in the air, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Like you know, when you're driving around northern Michigan early in the morning, and it's like misty. It's that. That's what it yeah. looks like. So it's actually kind of scary in the like first twenty minutes of a Stephen King movie. Scary, right? <laughs> So That's here's a question, one. though. Could you just, like, hang a ham outside and uh, especially maybe maybe if you're a little closer, if you're south of yeah. the fires in Canada, could you just hang a ham outside and be like, hey, Canadian smoked ham? Probably. Uh, <laughs> I was going to – so I made a uh, beef tenderloin for dinner last night with seared polenta and uh, portobello mushrooms and uh, zucchini. I was going to grill it, but then I was like, do I want to add to this problem? <laughs> Is today the day I want to produce smoke? I decided no. I also didn't want to just like hang out outside, you know, with all that going on. Yeah. But I made that joke, and my son goes, "Ooh, smoked a tenderloin." Like, yeah, not really. <laughs> but I mean, canary in a coal mine is a that's that that's a phrase for a reason. Like, coal miners would legitimately take a canary in a cage into the coal mine, and then gases that you couldn't smell would kill the bird, and they would piece the fuck out of that. Yes, coal mine. The chickens in my backyard seem to be just fine. So I'm not really worried that much about the air quality. They're not out there coughing like cigar smokers or anything. Yeah, and they're not stop dropping and rolling. Right, right. That's good. Good, good. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds of Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And as we were just talking about, uh, Chicago is a shade smoky, so if I sound a little sniffly today, my apologies for that. I'm, I'm trying not to be. I actually, for the first time in my life, I'm taking allergy medicine now because I've also been a little... Sniffly for a while. I traveled last weekend, which is what I'd like to talk about first, if you do not mind, Steve. Oh, let's do it. All right. So my company runs schools throughout the nation, and we just picked up a brand new one in Toronto, which my boss has to go open. And we have a couple other ones in Canada, but this is the first time we have one this far east in Canada. So, fine. Uh, that's all just background. My shop is closed during the summer because we don't have a summer camp, right? And so the deal kind of is like, I have a list of things to do. I've got to hire a person. I need to order some equipment. I need to clean my office. I need to like make sure my inventory is tight. I need to write menus for next year, which this year is a lot more complicated than it's been in the past. But for the most part, I get to just kind of fuck off during the summer. And as long as I get all of my stuff done before we get back, my boss kind of doesn't care, right? Like he gets it that... Yes, I'm essentially getting paid. I'm getting paid right now. It's Wednesday morning. I've done fuck all for work, but I'm getting paid right now. It's great. The deal there is they don't want to have to replace me in the fall. So it's a, it's a, they're stringing me along, right? They want yeah. me to come back in the fall. That's not so much the case for my staff, but my school or my, my company also does a sort of a sneaky thing where staff gets a raise when they come back and it's a pretty good raise if they come back for the next school year. Fine. So here's me fucking off for the summer, not doing much. And my boss goes, hey, I need you to go up to legitimately the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin for a weekend. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And I looked it up. It's like three hours away driving. I was like, that's fine. So it was 
Saturday, Sunday, alumni weekend at this place. They just lost their executive chef for things that we won't talk about on this show because I don't even have all the details. I just have a fuckload of gossip. And so they didn't... They're like, they're bringing a couple of people up. They've got three sous chefs, but no executive chefs. So they just needed like hands on deck, but not temps. You know, they wanted people who were already trained on what we do. So they brought me and what's called a CST, which is a culinary support team member, plus my boss. So it was Saturday, Sunday, or Friday, Saturday. I was like, all right. Well, then it turned into Wednesday through Sunday. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what's going on here? Because they wanted me to drive up Wednesday so that I would be fresh Thursday morning for this planning meeting and all this stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. You could have the planning meeting at 8. I could still get there Thursday morning from my bed. Plenty of time, right? Fine. I was there Thursday. We did this planning meeting. I helped out with a little bit of stuff, right? Some prep. And then Friday, they weren't lying. It was like seven different bar receptions around campus. I played a dinner for 300 people on Friday. Receptions, parties, luncheons, stuff like that. All day Saturday with, again, those same seven bars plus, like, popcorn reception and a, a bonfire and whatever afterward. Plus two other plated dinners that were in different rooms that were offset by about a half an hour. It it could have been a disaster. The CST who went with me, myself, and their team there is pretty good. They just needed somebody that they could just point and say, hey, go do this thing real fast. And that was myself and this other guy. So it ended up being fine, really. Very nice. Um, so how many – that does seem like a lot of work, though. What? How big is their crew? At full strength, they have about 60 people, including the front of the house staff, right? What I okay. saw was probably a dozen, maybe 15. But, like, compared to my shop where I have six cooks plus myself, th this is a college, right? So they're yeah. doing far more covers than I am. The people are bigger. They're also, like – our plated dinners were – pretty like they really went all out they're fine china the whole deal so the three sous chefs one was for what they considered to be like their main service area lunch dinner kind of place one is for specifically for catering and the other sue does their uh, their three retail outlets they have a starbucks and they have two other retail outlets but they were all hands on deck bringing all of these people together for just this one weekend, right? So there wasn't really a division between who does what. It was just sort of an all hands on deck kind of thing. Okay. Like this place has like six full-time dishwashers and two full-time bakers. That's like their dishwashing crew is the entirety of my crew. <laughs> <laughs> and how were you guys received being the outsiders into the, uh, into the folder? It's interesting because... Two of them are very young and very new, and so they were excited to have any kind of help, and they sort of looked up to both the CST and myself. And one of the guys has been there a while, and I get the feeling he wants to be the exec. And I don't know what's holding him back, because he could probably do it, but he kind of looked at us a little suspiciously. But then my boss was there too, just basically saying, I told them, I was like, I'm a wind-up toy, right? Just like, turn the key in my back and send me in a direction. I'll do whatever. I showed the... The catering suit, I showed him the, the callus on my index finger on my right hand. I was like, I cook every day. So there's nothing I'm not going to do. If you need me to wash dishes, I, I'm expensive. Like, I'm an expensive-ass dishwasher, but I'll wash dishes. I don't care, right? At one point, he sent me to the grocery store for something. I was fine. I don't care. And it was fun, right? Like, not being in my kitchen, I have no financial responsibility for any of it. Like, we're <laughs> cooking tenderloins. We're cooking ribeyes. Like, all this stuff. It was great. It was a lot of fun. The other guy, the CST... Dude is a powerhouse. 
dude, just like anything they asked him to do, he was back in five minutes. He was like, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> so that part was very cool. I think to a certain degree, the people, the, the staff there were expecting that one of us was going to, at the end of it, go, hey, guess what? I'm transferring in as your new exec. And then we just left and they kind of looked at us like, uh-oh. But I know my boss likes me right where I am. And I'm not going to – I just bought a house, man. I'm not moving to Wisconsin. No way. <laughs> I was going to say why why you. Um, and I guess availability is probably a big uh, chunk of the reason. My company likes to send managers to locations that are wildly different than the ones that are at so that we get to see different stuff, which I very much appreciate. And also, yeah, you're right. I was the closest one. Yeah. The CST that they brought in, that dude lives in Alabama, so it's not like he was close. But they also don't really think about that because CSTs spend more time on the road than they do at home. I don't know where he was coming from. I don't know where he was going to, but he could have been coming from close, for all I know. Yeah, and going to Toronto. (laughs) Right. I think he actually may have been doing that. We're opening one school in my district, but it's something like 11 schools nationwide this coming year, which is great. It's a huge year for us. Oh, you're opening 11 new schools? Yeah. Oh, nice. Very nice. I think we talked about this briefly, that we picked up two new schools in Rhode Island, and I went, how fucking big is Rhode Island? Is that all the schools now? Do we have all of them? <laughs> Rhode Island is like the size of my neighborhood. When you heard that, did they, did you ask them if they had to serve the mayor sauce? <laughs> I did not. I forgot about that. <laughs> or I governor need, I, sauce, I guess. I will have to look into that and find out if that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like... That's that's in the contract. It's like, yeah, but you have to use this spaghetti sauce. You absolutely have to. Like, all the purveyors are like, no, 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 we know what you ordered. You have to use this instead. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it says that on the order sheet, but this is what actually comes. (laughs) (laughs) I will have to find out. That's amazing. So, yeah, it was whatever. I lived in a hotel for four days. I ate terrible food uh, on my own. The food that I ate at the school was great. Like they do really good work there. It's, it's one of those things where like the standards of my company, they're upholding them very well, even with this lack at the top. Uh, one thing I can say, I should not talk legitimately out of school about this, but what happened at that kitchen with the executive chef leaving when she did is exactly what we've talked about in the past, about things that you should not do. Like, she let problems with individual staff members go too long. She let problems with herself and her work go too long without it being handled. She did a separate thing, which I believe she hung out with part of the staff and alienated the other part. And then in trying to hang out with the other part of the staff, alienated the first half and, like, divided the kitchen that way. Like, personal BS kind of game stuff that's just like, you know what? running a kitchen is so much less about the food and so much more about the people and it's a great crew like i don't know how you run that particular crew badly it did I, I, i'm shocked shocked so here's a logistical question um when when your company uh, acquires a, a um a school like that yeah do they and it's not i mean was it i guess it depends was it run by like an airmark or something before how long have they had that particular school? A while? So, I think it was Compass, and I think we've been at that school for two and a half years? So would, like that. Would would your company, like, bring in an entirely different crew? Would they offer the old crew positions in the new, under the new uh, umbrella, or? It depends. In general, we like to try to hire the hourly folks, because salaried managers tend to have non-competes. Like, I have one. So if we were to lose the property that I'm at right now to an Aramark or a Compass or something, I could not go work for them. I've, gotcha. I've, I signed that. I happily signed it. That's that's mine. 
But there's nothing holding back my hourly from that. Sometimes it's great because the staff knows the physical nature of the school. They know the kids, whatever. Sometimes it's tricky because they won't accept our training on top of whatever their previous training was. Right. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, the the worst part of it would be that you have to hire a new crew. (laughs) Yeah. The best part of the other being that you wouldn't have to hire a new crew. But, yeah, there's a lot of baggage that comes with. I was just curious if that was any sort of a a holdover from a previous um, sort of uh, employment situation or or if it was. uh, So two years isn't that long of a thing either. No, and that exec had not been in that position for two years. So. This has been what we call in my company a troubled property from the get-go. The main problem, and it always, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to tell you this because this is my position that I work in, but when you have kitchen problems, we'll talk about Rick Bayless later. When you have kitchen (laughs) problems, that shit comes from the top. No matter what, let's say a cook stabs another cook. The chef manager, the kitchen manager, the owner, whoever, there's no way that's day one of that problem that leads to a stabbing. That sort of thing between those two cooks has to get noticed by somebody in a position of responsibility and power and handled, right? So, all of the problems at the school come from the top. They hired a GM when they first started, and that guy was awful, apparently. He's not there anymore, right? This was another guy who just, like, they he, he mailed his ID back. Like, he was not coming into the place to give his two weeks notice. He was just like, fuck you, I'm out. They had hired a catering manager who, it turned out, had lied on her resume about having any sort of catering experience. She got fired. The executive chef, the original one, I believe was a holdover from the previous uh, management company and then left. The new catering manager they hired is good, but he's still finding his footing because with catering, at least, you're, you're working months and years in advance right so if you come in as a new catering manager you probably have a stack of shit that you already have to do that's already just been ordered and whatever and so you have to manage all of that stuff before you can even put your own policies and procedures into place before you can even say like you before you can even get to know the client you're already having to execute orders that previously came in their new gm is great there they have an office manager she's great they just need to now get the exec part dialed in and they'll be fine Nice. What was what was the timing on leaving CJ's? Because I feel like it wasn't the end of the year, but I don't remember there being anything big end of the year stuff left to do. I left in April, like the very last week of March, and they were coming up on graduation, but that wasn't until June. So we had none of that scheduled yet. Okay. Because I remember, I remember there, I was like, it wasn't like it was just, there was nothing to do. There was still stuff to do, but I couldn't remember like any, um, you know, like any big, big things that were uh, train wreck sort of stuff. <laughs> well, and I did something that I would hope someone would do for me, which is when I put in my two weeks notice, well, it was more like a month notice. I also sent an email out to everybody who normally ordered catering, and I said, we're not accepting any more catering. This is why. It's because I'm leaving, and I'm not going to overtax my staff, because there has been nobody hired to replace me. And almost across the board, that worked. We've talked about this on this show before. I don't babysit. And so we had one person who sent me an email and said, well, you have this thing, right? And I looked through my files, and I said, I don't have that order at all. And this person replied, 
well, it's on the community calendar. And I said, that does not constitute a uh, an order for a catering. There's no menu. There's no date. There's no time. There's no location. There's none of that stuff. You haven't put a deposit down. This is not a live order, and I will not be taking it. Right? So you cannot order this thing. She went crazy. Ah, that's the wrong thing to say. She got very, very angry and went to the head of the school, went to the, the dean of the school or whatever. And we ended up having to have a sit-down meeting about it, and I was like... Unless you called the pizza place to order your pizza, they don't give a fuck about how hungry you are. Yeah. <laughs> and you did not order a thing. It's on the calendar. I don't babysit that calendar. That's not an order. You know the process for ordering. And she did not get what she wanted. And she was very angry. She's dead now, so it's okay. But <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with that. Who was it? Uh... Ab 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 Abuelita or whatever? No, was it was not Ab Abistosa. This, yeah, no. This, this was the same lady... Who, when her husband died and we did the um, reception thing for his memorial service, her daughters came over and asked for a stack of to-go boxes, which we gave them. Then they complained that there was not enough food after they had boxed it up. And I went over and took pictures of the food before they boxed it up because I knew what was going on. They boxed the food up and then said that there wasn't enough food and they weren't going to pay for the entirety of the order. And I said, what about all that food you boxed up? And they said, what food we boxed up? And I showed them the pictures and suddenly they were capable of paying the the full bill <laughs> like just nasty people not yeah. great folks you know? right <laughs> like you got the to-go boxes from my staff yeah I, it's it's shocking when someone thinks you're so dumb that they're gonna get away with something like that I'm like what I, do you take me for lady? i think it's the opposite i think they're so dumb that they thought they they didn't think they were just yeah. so dumb they just it was the perfect plan <laughs> also i wasn't like dropping the bill at their table they had two weeks to pay for the memorial reception i don't know why they wanted to like heckle uh heckle's the wrong word dick haggle haggle at the, like your dad died bro like I will send you the bill. It's okay. You don't need to hide food from me, lie that there wasn't enough food, and then tell me you're not paying for the entirety of the meal. Like, fucking chill out. And then but I don't also, work there anymore, and it's awesome. <laughs> also, did that mean, like, people legitimately were going hungry because they hid food to try to not pay I for it or because know. they wanted to take it home? Or, uh, I don't know. Bizarre, bizarre, bizarre. And this is when I started taking pictures of everything. <laughs> yeah. Man. And, and how long had you been looking for a new job? Oh, I started looking in October. Okay. I was I was not in a hurry. I knew I needed to leave CJ's, but I wasn't exactly in a hurry. And so that's the thing that always gets me. Like the executive chef who just left this college that I went up to bail out last weekend called my boss at 4.30 in the morning. This is also stuff my boss shouldn't tell me, but he keeps telling me stuff. Called him at 4.30 in the morning, said, I left my keys on my desk. I'm out. Ugh. That was the amount of notice that she gave to him. I could never do that. I it, It's just the, like, fake loyalty to an employer thing that employers really want you to have that I've internalized wouldn't let me do that. I cannot do that. I always give a ton of notice. Well, you've also ha always had a really, really good, and I, I mean, this goes into... Um um, some mental health stuff too. So if anyone, anyone, if you're at a restaurant or any job where uh, your mental health is more important than the job. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you've always had a really good sort of, you, I mean, you talk about being the first rat off the ship. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've ha always had a really good compass for, for that sort of thing. So uh, it seems to me like whoever this executive chef was, um, they let 
the they let it get to the point where the 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 camel's back actually broke. Yeah. Um, where I feel like you have a really good sense. You've always had a really good sense of okay. These these are all the red flags that I'm seeing. So I'm not going to let it get to the point where the dam breaks yeah. and and I storm out of here and burn bridges. Um, I'm going to start looking now so that it doesn't get to that point so everyone can leave on a, you know, and, and be copacetic, even even if that's not necessarily possible, because I'm thinking like, uh, didn't I mean, some people have had grudges against you, right, for leaving yep. it at all. Um, and abandoning them in any sort of way, let alone, you know, waiting until uh, you're, you're actually contemplating about buying a weapon. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's ghoulish, but generally I do that. Like, I will go and look at the Yelp reviews of a place, not right after I leave, but like a month after I leave, because you can see a dip in Yelp reviews after you leave, ladies and gentlemen, if you are important to the operation. Right. And there is, it can be kind of fun to be like, ha ha. <laughs> now you know what my value was, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, like, I don't want to see a place burn down after I leave, but it is nice to know that they struggled for a minute because I left. Yeah. Yeah. Which is different, of course, than CJ's, which now no longer has any sort of food service at all. Oh, really? They don't? They, so, uh, they sold, uh, small colleges, ladies and gentlemen, are in trouble right now, especially small niche colleges. And so what CJ's did is they... Spoilers, I guess. They're a small college. Uh, sold their building to a much larger college. They are remaining a tenant of that building and renting that space out for classrooms and stuff. But they no longer have a food service operation on site. And they're, uh, uh, what do you call it? A casualty of COVID. So during COVID, they offered online classes. They actually saw a boost in tuition from that because people were suddenly like, oh, shit, I can take classes from this college. Then COVID, quote, ended, and they said, everybody come back to the classroom. And people said, no, I don't want to do that. And they canceled their online classes. And people said, well, fuck you then. And oh. so tuition went way, way down. They should have just, as far as I'm concerned, kept the online classes. But there is that sense of, we're all back in the office. We're all back in the classroom. And it's like, unless you're 10, you don't need to be back in the classroom. All right? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, and it's restaurant workers uh, benefited not at all from any of the, the uh, working yeah. from home thing because you it's real hard to cook for someone from another state. True. Um, but uh, I just saw an article saying that basically the same thing has been true for employers when they said, uh, um, hey, everybody, um, we're, we know we talked real big <laughs> about this flexible work scheduling stuff and working from home, but guess what? Everyone's got to be back in the office. That um, attrition... Yeah. Um, in those companies is, has really skyrocketed uh, and that it is well, flexible work work is now like the fourth it's number four on the list of things that will get people to leave a job like the yeah. first one being salary and uh, um, compensation and, and a couple other things that have historically been way up there but they're like this is now you know at the top of the list I mean not the top top but one of the top things on the list of things that people are looking for and uh companies that have that have backtracked and said sorry you can't work from home anymore have really found that that hasn't been working for them and that they have right. been unable to retain people that they hire and a lot of people left the company and uh, well there's no there's no way to threaten them anymore so a friend of mine who works in texas he works in uh database management so it's it but he does no physical anything dude does not run cables he doesn't have a screwdriver kind of stuff right during covid he went to the office, he grabbed his computer, and he moved it to his home, and he was doing work and whatever. And tra because he's this smart guy, tracked his own productivity and whatever, and found that he was doing more work in less time, 
and whatever. It was fine. Then his company did that thing where they were like, hey, everybody, back in the office. We're doing. They started with the, like, we'll do three days in the office. And everybody was like, okay. Then they switched it to five. And this buddy of mine just emailed his boss and said, here's what it's going to cost you to bring me back to the office. And he made it a door-to-door uh, wage increase where he's like, the minute I leave my door, I'm on the clock for you because you're making me go to a place. Transit yeah. time now counts. And his boss was like, that's ridiculous, you know? And... Um, this buddy of mine was like, then you're not getting me back in. So either you let me work from home at my current rate, or this is what you pay me to come back to the office. And his boss was like, fine, you get to stay home. And then word got out. And so now like two thirds of his office stays home. And he's like, yeah, I got in trouble about that for a minute. But I told him again, I was like, here's the number. You can pay me to come in. I will travel an hour every day to come in and you'll get, you know, pay me this amount, you know? Yeah. Can't do that in restaurants. No, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> which is unfortunate <laughs> in some yeah. ways. I'm, but then also it's like, yeah, I mean, there's just no, inle- unless they create a thing where through uh, like VR, you're controlling the robot that's in the kitchen without right. actually being there. And then maybe we can see some people cooking from home for, uh, you know, restaurants across the country. There was a movie starring Bruce Willis a while back where people – Sat in a chair in their house, and then they piloted around a much hotter version of themselves that was an android. Yes. And it ended up being a murder mystery movie, I think, kind of. That, except for cooks. Yeah. Kind of here for that. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have to deal with the heat or anything. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I also uh, would say anyone that... You know, you think you're getting paid well. Factor in your commute to your yeah. hourly wage if you're an hourly employee, and then see exactly what you're getting. Um, because, uh, yeah, it does. W- w- it's really hard to take away a perk once someone has one. Yeah. <laughs> and oh yeah. Work, working from home is a great perk. Yes. Uh, for some people, right? Like. Yes. Yes. I it, and it's just because I mean it's also because of the nature of my work, but at the same time, like I am such a social person. And I do uh, feed off of that is the wrong way to think about it because I'm not like some sort of a weird parasite. But like I gain energy from those physical social interactions with people, right? Like seeing people. That's why I want to eventually own a diner. Like I want to look up and see somebody coming in that not only do I know who they are. I know their kids. I know how they like their coffee. I know probably what they're going to order. Like I like that community kind of thing. You're not going to get that working from home. It can be very isolating. So for some people like me. It would almost be more of a drain. However, having said that, and I really hope my staff doesn't listen to this show, even though they're all awesome and I'm not going to trash talk them, I should be paying them all travel time. The minute you leave your house to go to work, you should be on the clock because you're only doing that because you're going to work. That should be considered part of your work day. Yeah. I I believe that. My company does not believe that. No company (laughs) believes that. But that would really limit the distance that you could hire someone, right? Because on some oh, absolutely. level, I mean, as much as I agree with you, because I've I've had long commutes in my life and have um, been drained emotionally <laughs> by them <laughs> um, and financially with gas and or whatever, um, just time. But uh, you know, it, it, at some point, it's like I didn't have to apply for the job where that took me an hour to get to. Yeah. Um, well, and how do you track it? Yeah. Like if someone says it took me two hours to get home yesterday, I'd be like, I don't know, rent's due in a couple weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're, I think you're trying to bulk that out. Now, what I have seen is companies giving people unlimited use 
public transit passes. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of does that. It doesn't compensate you for your time, but it does take away an expense because if right. you're spending like what's CTA here in Chicago? It's like five bucks a ride, man. If you're spending ten bucks to get to and from work, that could be not in Chicago, but that could be an hour worth of labor if you're in like Alabama, right? Yeah. That's a thing. Like, what if you had a company that had like an Uber allowance, and you just submitted receipts through through the Uber app to your home office, and they dropped that onto your paycheck for to and from work? Yeah. Again, how do you track that when it's like, wait a minute, why did this Uber take you to the strip club? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Then you're like, strip clubs right next to my house. What? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, these are the destinations, your house yeah. and work. <laughs> Anything right. beyond that is not... Uh... <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Like, don't get me wrong. We should 100% be compensating people to travel to and from work. We're not. That's that's right up there with getting rid of tipping, right? Like, that's blue sky ideas for uh, not even my kid's generation, but, like, the next one after that. So when I worked for the moving company here, I only did one... Well, no, we, we drove up all the way up from Grand Rapids to Big Rapids at one point for a move. And I don't know if this was true then, but normally the like the billing for the person whose stuff we were moving, their hourly rate, which at the time, this was, would be cheap probably now, I think it was like 80 bucks an hour um, to hire the moving company, um, started as soon as we left the parking lot before yeah. we got to their house. Yep. And then didn't end until we had everything you know we were getting back into the truck to head to the next move or or go home or whatever yeah in chicago they definitely do that because of traffic right it's just like look you could be in that truck stuck in traffic for an extra hour so they're going to get their piece yeah. uh, the moving company that i hired not only did they do a pretty good job but they stopped for lunch in between the old house and the new house and they took that off of the bill like they took that down to the minute they took that off of their transit time which was cool i nice. i mean it makes sense that they would do that, but it was nice that they had it itemized out for me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, and, and um, it just makes sense then that other professions should uh, <laughs> should do the same. Right. Well, I mean, when I went up to that college this weekend, I get paid mileage. Right. It's fifty cents a mile, which is pretty awesome. Actually, I might end up making money on this trip. Uh, but it was door to door, right? So like, I drove up there from my house, and it was every single mile that I drove until I got back to my house. So that was pretty cool. Right, yeah. Looking at that bill that I submitted to home office, uh, I might travel more for work if I can. <laughs> you know? I'm going to make some money on this trip. Yeah, when I delivered office supplies, the only reason I made money, uh, like was in the black at the end of the year, was because I could deduct the price of gas from my uh, whatever I owed taxes. Yeah. So I didn't end up owing um, owing money. That was a, that was a terrible job. It, and when the price <laughs> is high, I feel for you, anyone that's uh, delivering anything as an independent contractor. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. All right. I wanted to start today a half an hour in with this article you just sent me because there's so much in here from the Washington Post. A baseball team was asked to drop its name, but Macon Bacon stays sizzling. Tell me yeah. about this, Steve. I just saw that before I sent it to you, and I was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't believe, like, really? This is... This is the thing that you want to throw a fit about. But, yeah, so this is – we talked a, a little while ago about some of the uh, AAA teams, right, and some yeah. of their mascots because that's where you sent me for um, uh, anthropomorphic food. Right. Well, and, and pertinent to this, there's a uh, team outside of Philadelphia called the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, and their mascot is as well a giant strip of bacon. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and so I guess Macon, when their team, when they were putting their team together, they pulled the community, and and Macon Bacon was what um, the the community came up with. So it's you know it's it it's a grassroots sort of a th- uh, naming of the team as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the uh, was it the GM? Um, okay, yes. Brandon Ga- Raphael. Yes. Was looking through his team's mail earlier this month when he came across a large envelope. Inside was a letter from the, from doctors urging his collegiate summer baseball team, the Georgia-based Macon Bacon, to consider their fans' health. So let, let me read the next paragraph because I've, I've figured out a dramatic way to reveal the information that's important here. Because, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you hear of an organization that has a very, very benign name, they are some sort of an extremely agenda-driven operation. No yeah. question, right? Quote, Macon Bacon's glorification of bacon, a processed meat that raises the risk of colorectal cancer and other diseases, sends the wrong message, it stated. This is the letter. Urging Raphael to change the name. The letter was signed by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. This is your very benign uh, uh, organization name. A DC-based nonprofit organization. Had it stopped there, I would not have necessarily suspected anything. But the end of that sentence is, quote, that promotes plant-based diets. So the vegans are coming for making bacon is yeah. really what, it, what we're seeing here. These are so, people who have an agenda. They may not be wrong, but they definitely have an agenda. And they're hiding behind the fact that they are uh, doctors who, are, who have this like really benign organization name. And, and not only should you not be eating bacon, but you can't have a cartoon piece of bacon <laughs> or someone in, in a obviously, you know, uh, um, an anthropomorphic bacon suit as your right. mascot uh, because it's rhymes and it's fun. No, no, no. That's too that That's not great. And also, um, uh, further down, let me see if I can find it. You talking about the billboard? Oh, no, not the billboard yet. yet but yeah. Um, so uh, th- they are. They're also against um, milk. Milk, yeah. The, the glorification of drinking milk because, uh, yeah, that's it. So Macon Bacon isn't the only sports team facing calls for a change from from this particular physicians group. It recently said the Indianapolis 500, where champions pour milk on themselves, and the Milwaukee Milkmen, an independent baseball team, were glorifying the beverage. Glor- glorifying milk. <laughs> First of all, uh, I feel bad for. The winner of the Indianapolis 500, if they have to have milk poured on them, or if they have the to inside pour milk of that suit is never going to be clean enough. No, and it, it, you're going to reek of. By the time you get to a shower, it's going to be gross, yeah. curdled grossness. Um, and uh, the Milwaukee milkmen, um, yeah, glorifying. Uh, th- this seems to be more like you're glorifying milking cows if you're the Milwaukee milkmen. But um, right. Well, I guess milkmen brought milk to your house, right? The Milwaukee Milkmen played against the uh, Chicago Dogs at a game that I went to. I don't recall who won. Because back <laughs> up until the most recent Chicago Dogs game that we went to, my kids have never sat through a full baseball game. Because they're, they're kids, right? That happens. Uh, so I do not recall who won in the Dogs versus Milkmen game. <laughs> hey, Dogs versus Milkmen, everyone wins. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to point this out. Raphael, the president of Macon Bacon, initially thought the letter was a joke. But the group, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, the group's stance became even clearer days later when it posted a billboard on the main highway in Macon, Georgia that read, Macon, keep bacon off your plate. This is now harassment, as far as I'm concerned. 
Although, I mean, I think that Macon Bacon could take this thing here they put on the billboard, the baseball skull over the uh, cross uh, crossbones of Bacon, and right. uh, turn that into a logo because that, I mean, this could be a tattoo. Ten out of ten would buy that shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and they're they're trying to uh, ins- I mean, they're just you know trying to push their push their thing. Um, I I also you know after. Post-COVID, because of just all the nonsense that happened during that from from messaging and just the nut jobs that came out of the woodwork to tell you, you know, to either try to sell you liquid silver to drink to protect yourself (laughs) or, you know, whatever it is. I'm not I'm not as convinced by something called Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine um, for for a variety of reasons. Like it's a committee. Like, right. <laughs> you're just you're just getting together every now and again. And and what kind of physicians? Because I don't think there's any sort of rules saying who can call themselves a physician. Um, they're, unlike saying like uh, MD or, uh, you know, whatever the initials are putting that yeah. on or or doctor, I think maybe even there's rules about. I remember ages ago, there was a thing about um, California because the union for for engineers said you could only call yourself an engineer if you like paid dues to the union. Oh, wow. <laughs> or something, something along those lines. Um, and I think they, the, the courts put the kibosh on that, but still they, at one point there were rules for calling yourself an engineer in California, <laughs> even yeah. if the rules weren't necessarily completely fair. So I don't know what this exactly means. Physicians committee for responsible medicine, though. I, it may have tricked me, you know, a few years ago and be like, Oh, yeah. some doctors are saying, but now I'm like, yeah, but what kind of doctor? Right, right. Yeah, these could be dentists. Yeah. For all we know. (laughs) So I do want to point this one thing out because this cracked me up. Quoting from the article, Anna Herbie, the committee's nutrition education program manager, has worked with dozens of patients with cancer. She wishes they had been educated about the dangers of processed meats. Quote from Herbie, Bacon is so popular and we just don't hear enough about the risks of certain foods, Herbie told the Washington Post. What we do is just do our best to change the environment so that it's easier for people to make those healthy choices. Steve, do you think bacon is healthy? No. Does anybody think bacon is healthy? I like, This lady thinks we're being tricked into thinking that bacon is a health food? Lady, we love it because it's unhealthy. It's one of those things. Like, I don't eat popcorn thinking, ooh, I'm going to lose some weight. I don't eat chocolate thinking like, oh, this is a good choice for me right now. Bacon is in that group. Nobody is getting tricked into yeah. thinking that bacon is good for them. I also don't think that bacon is poisonous. Um, which is, I think, what they would like to uh, put forth is that you're poisoning your body, you're poisoning yourself right. when you eat these things. And I also don't. I think bacon, bacon is food. I know it's it's probably a little. Uh, it's on the unhealthy side of things, um, or you know that you shouldn't. It's one of those things you should definitely shouldn't eat in excess because uh, you know it's, yeah. there's a lot of fat and and other things uh, that are part and parcel to bacon. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've never thought of it as being a health food. No. So later on, there's a quote from her, quote, People are upset when they learn that bacon isn't healthy, but I hope that it plants a seed for maybe one day down the road, Herbie said. When people are ready to make changes, they can remember the risks and know that there are healthier options. Lady, people learn that bacon isn't healthy when they're, like, two. Yeah. Right? It's one of those things, bacon is good, it's not good for you. Nobody. Yeah. Google it right now, Anna Herbie. Nobody is saying bacon is healthy. Google, is bacon healthy right now? The answer is just going to be 96-point font no, and there's not going to be any links. It's just going to tell you no. Nobody is being tricked yeah. by this. This, is, this woman yeah, is you, trying to 
engender a conspiracy and a controversy that doesn't exist. None of us are saying that bacon is healthy. We just love it. Sorry. Well, um, she'd be better off if she was trying to say that say that about milk, even though I still find yeah. it terribly amusing because of all the got milk ads and the, uh, hey, drink more milk because milk does is the body good for good. you. Um, yeah, milk does the body good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know what? Uh, vitamin D is good for bones. We know right, this. Like, if, if you were to say to me, oh, what's uh, milk good for? I would say uh, strong teeth and healthy bones because that's what I've been programmed to think. Yeah. Is it true? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Vitamin D, calcium, that's all good stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, those are good. Can you get them from supplements? Probably. If you yeah. do it correctly, then you don't need to and is uh then you don't need to drink milk. Are there some downsides to milk? Yeah, the milk fat is probably yeah. not the greatest. Some a lot of people are lactose intolerant. Right. Um have lactose issues. Um but um as a whole is I, I would I think of milk as more of a healthy side of the town than an unhealthy side of town versus yeah. bacon. I mean, those are on opposite sides of the spectrum for me. I saw a snippet of like a food show faux debate kind of thing where people were talking about the fake like uh, alternative milks. Right. So we did a show a long time ago about uh, all the different alternative like chickpea milk and soy milk and almond milk and all that stuff. And I caught this snippet where somebody from the Dairy Producers Council of America or whatever was talking to somebody who made these alternative milks. And the other person said, we're the only species in the world that drinks another animal's milk. And the response from the milk guy was, other animals would do it if they could. (laughs) (laughs) Just left it at that. Like, yeah, they, you know, it is a source of nutrition. Other animals will get that if they can. There's not, we didn't. We didn't start doing it because we are weird milk fetishists. Like, it's yeah. a source of nutrition, and we're exploiting it. Simple as that. And um, I've seen dogs nursing cats and vice versa. Like, right, um, right. dogs nursing kittens and kittens nursing puppies. And so, uh, yeah, uh, that it happens. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, it leads to cheese. So, come oh, on. Oh, man. I spent nearly $100 at Mars Cheese Castle on the way back from my trip to Wisconsin. And I bought, did I tell you about chicken soup cheese? No. Oh, my God, Steve. I bought a cheese from Mars Cheese Castle. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we're done with the bacon thing now. (laughs) Chicken soup cheese. Now, any of you who are in the industry, think about what chicken soup cheese would be. Keep in mind, it's like a Colby or a cheddar kind of a looking thing, right? Think about what it would be for a second. Yes, it's that. (laughs) <laughs> this is a whitish cheese that has dehydrated carrot, celery, and onion in it, as well as what are suspiciously bright yellow veins in it that are totally just chicken soup base, like a bouillon <laughs> cube kind of a thing crushed up. That's what it is. Now, having said that, it tastes exactly like fucking chicken soup. It's honestly pretty good. <laughs> I really hate to say that because I bought it expecting, oh, this is going to be six bucks I'm going to throw away. It's pretty good. I kind of want to have chicken soup with this cheese as a grilled cheese sandwich. Um, curds or block? Block, like sliceable. Um, wow, interesting. It I is would, wild. I, I would actually enjoy, I think, probably fried cheese curds that were of that cheese. So it reminds me to a certain degree of your experience with the key lime pie gum where it like blew your brain out the side of your head because yeah. it was the flavor was too close to what it was supposed to be but the texture was wrong. 
that's this experience. Like, it's too close to being the right flavor. If you were going to do, like, a French onion sort of situation with that on top, but not French onion, do, would you have to do chicken noodle or could you – or, I mean, chicken soup, or would you be able to do another kind of soup with a chicken soup-flavored cheese? A split pea soup with a crouton, like a, a, a baguette crouton with this cheese melted on it? <laughs> that would be good. That's I'm, like fancy Michigan food right there. Yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> oh, I ahead. would not say tomato soup. This is not a tomato soup thing. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering, because like, yeah. I wouldn't do French onion with the chicken uh, chicken soup cheese no. on it either, I don't think. But um, like, I, I don't make cheese. I've n- I have made cheese in the past, but I've done really simple. Like, I've made ricotta, which is just, that's just putting lemon juice into milk and letting it sit for a minute. But like, now that's got my brain kind of fizzing. Where I'm like, okay, can I caramelize onions, dehydrate them, crush them up, make a cheese, and put caramelized onions into the cheese, and use that for a French onion cheese? Like, that's a long way to go to make a really good French onion soup, but, like, so? <laughs> you know? <laughs> can I find a dairy producer here in Illinois that'll sell me raw milk so I can make fancy-ass cheese? I don't know. I get these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was also going to say, or we should say that... Um, because of extenuating circumstances, uh, i.e. Ben being called to uh, Wisconsin, Cheese yeah. Skirt Festival did not happen. Yeah, that's true. Um, so if anyone went, though, please let us know. If any Cheese Curd Festival goers uh, are out there listening to us, let us know how that went. And we will um, try to add next year's to our calendar and see what happens. But yeah. uh, So the uh, best way to get a hold of us for that kind of stuff is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com also i'm on instagram kind of constantly especially over the summer i post a lot more during the summer because i'm just not working i've got to (laughs) fill up my time somehow that's uh chef ben randall on instagram you can find us on facebook if you just search for in the weeds with ben randall and steve runs a website for us in the weeds wbr.com where you can always find like background information on the articles we talk about and stuff uh as well as my newest staff shirt is up there um, let's talk about the newest staff shirt real quick. Steve designed a shirt for me that on the front, uh, I got it in ice blue and it's gorgeous. On the front is a water bottle with the Ghostbusters symbol over it. And it says, water makes me sick. And on the back it says, but I need it. So this is actually two different things. The back, but I need it, is a thing that we say in my kitchen all the time in reference to an employee who's no longer with us who was obsessed with using one particular uh, Rubbermaid four-wheel cart, right? Two-shelf cart. (laughs) If she couldn't find that one cart, sorry, three-shelf cart, she kind of, like, this was not a mental health issue. She just really liked that one cart, and she would get kind of whiny about it to the point where there was a thing one day that went undone. Like, there was a part of our lunch service that didn't happen, and it's because she couldn't find that cart. That was the least of the issues we had with that lady, and I'm glad she's gone. Fine. So that part, we say that shit all the time. When somebody's like, there are any rubber spatulas around? And one person will have, like, all the rubber spatulas, and that other person will be like, can I just have one? And the person who has all of them will go, but I need it! Right. <laughs> this is how we keep ourselves entertained. We also lost an employee in, like, March of this year who was just a liar. Like, this person came on real strong, was doing a great job for the first couple weeks, and then went and tanked the whole everything, right? Which is what happens. You do first date stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, we've said this before. When you apply for a job, you are showing the hiring manager your best self. It's like a first date, right? And then when you get the job, you're still doing that. You're thinking second date, third date, right? Like, you're still being your best self. Thing is, is that, like, 
relationships taper off as far as that like here's my best self play acting and you start to get more real right like the real world in mtv back in the 90s <laughs> that shouldn't happen like two weeks in that should be months and months down the road lie to me for a long time all right <laughs> but this particular person went south real fast and would say insane shit like uh, one day uh called off because this person was sick i drank too much water yesterday water makes me sick what that's an insanely hard to believe reason for you calling off sick just say you're sick i didn't need that detail just like i'm sick okay like what am i gonna say we live in covid land now you could have the plague i don't know you don't need to lie to me in the most ridiculous way possible so that's where that other thing comes from water makes me sick no no water makes you live <laughs> yeah so now in my kitchen because we watch each other that's one of those things i've been trying to get people to understand and i'm hoping that one of these days I can do like a hiring workshop with a thousand people and be like, look, it's a mindset thing. In your kitchen, when someone drops a plate and you hear the plate break, there are two ways to respond to that. And the way that chefs have responded to that since time immemorial is to yell and scream. <laughs> if you train yourself to first say, are you okay? Display that care, display that sense of like yes that plate is valuable to me but whoever dropped that plate is more valuable to me than that plate you will eventually believe it if you lie to yourself and say well okay fucking now i need to say are you okay and the employee's gonna go yes i'm sorry i dropped the plate and then we're gonna clean it up whatever as opposed to screaming at him first eventually that habit will change your mindset in my kitchen we do that so much now we watch out for each other and when people are acting weird or having a bad day we ask them questions like have you had enough water today I didn't start that shit. I in, sort of developed the environment where, like, my lead cook started that shit. And that's another, like, so now we make fun of that guy who doesn't work there anymore, where it'll be like, is your water <laughs> making you sick? <laughs> like that kind of thing. <laughs> my staff will ask me, have you eaten yet today? And I'll be like, fuck, what time is it, right? <laughs> like, that's what we do. Yes, it's very easy to do on the small scale when you've hired only awesome people. Fine, I know I have advantages. But, like, you can switch just in moments like that. You hear a plate hit the floor. Instead of screaming, you ask if everyone's okay. That tells your staff where your head is, what you value. And then it, it, it that, that grows, that flowers, right? Like that spreads out to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. L little things like that work out fucking great. Yeah. And then after a while, you don't have to do that work anymore. Your staff will be looking out for each other. Yeah, I, that's, that's um, great uh, advice. I, I was looking for another word, but that's the best word I can come up with right now. I mean, unless they're shitbags. Hey, do you want to talk about Rick Bayless real quick? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's. Okay, so I don't have anything against Rick Bayless. I really don't. Um, and also, yeah, I, I, full disclosure, I have not finished The Bear Season 1 because it's way too stressful for me. And I know Season 2 just came out. I'm going to watch all the rest of it. I'm going to watch all the rest of season one, and I'm going to watch all of season two. I'm going to do it in the next couple of weeks because I just need to get this shit off my plate, right? Steve, have you watched The Bear? I have not seen any of it yet. Okay. I've just heard good things, but I've not seen it. I saw the first, like, four episodes of the first season. I want to say they're, like, ten-episode seasons. So there's no good reason for me to have stopped. However, ladies and gentlemen, it is so realistic that it's stressful for me to watch. I don't know if there are, like, ophthalmologists out there who go home and watch really stressful TV shows about ophthalmology. 
if they do, they're probably psychopaths. So, like, I feel like a psychopath watching the show that is just, like, super stressing me out <laughs> about my industry. But not because it's being displayed improperly. Not because they're making false accusations. And not because of it. Just because it's super real. And I feel bad for everybody in the show all the time. Or I hate them. Or I am them. Right? I don't know anybody in the show. I don't know anybody involved in the show. But I also, at the same time, I kind of know everybody in that show. Right? Or I've been everybody in that show at some point. So, quote, Rick Bayless says the bear set restaurants back 20 years. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Rick Bayless. So, this is from the Rob Report, which I don't know what this is, but this was sent to me by Taylor. Did Taylor send me this? Yes. So, thank you for that. And again, I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It really should be, like, part of my responsibilities to watch shows like this. Like, when we watch The Menu, right? I feel like I need to watch this so that I am capable of speaking about it the bear is one of the most critically acclaimed shows on tv with many chefs giving it props for its accurate portrayal of the kitchen environment but not all chefs are on board with the ways in which the series depicts the restaurant industry rick bayless the chicago restaurateur behind something something, something um during a chat with the newspaper's business editor jamie heller bayless said he thought the show pushed back the industry another 20 years here's where it gets important steve this is a quote from bayless if you're a mother of a teenage boy that's watching that show, and he goes, Mom, I want to work in restaurants. Would you let him? Bayless asked. No, you wouldn't. That's like the worst profession in the world. Rick. Rick. Get real close. <laughs> You're angry that it's accurate, motherfucker. Like, yes, this show was showing some of the worst shit that happens in the industry. There's no lie. Zero lie detected, fella. So, you can say, Rick Bayless... That's not how your restaurants operate. Fine. This is how restaurants operate. <laughs> it just is. And he's got a really interesting quote here at the bottom that I want to get to. Uh, where? Because it's a lie. Where is his lie? Oh, okay, here we go. No, 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 no. It's right after that. So at the very bottom of this article, ladies and gentlemen, if you read it, quote, he went on to say that he's never worked in a restaurant where the staff, staff acted badly. Yeah. That's a lie. That's one of two things. It's either a lie. Well, it's one of three things. It's either a lie or he has had the luckiest career arc of anybody in the industry. Or he does not know what bad acting is. Or right. I'll throw one more, a fourth one out there. He's oblivious. Yeah. He just completely, he's in his ivory tower and completely unaware of what goes on in the kitchen. Yeah. <clears throat> Now, I have not done, because I kind of don't want to know. I have not done any looking into at all what Rick Bayless's kitchens look like. You know, you just catch an article here or an article there where it's like, well, they had a bunch of turnover or there were accusations of sexual misconduct or whatever. I've never heard anything about any of his kitchens having that sort of stuff, and I haven't looked because I kind of don't want to know. For years, I've said, also, Rick Bayless is shorter than I thought he was, which is a plus. I like being taller than people. <laughs> But I've, I, for years I've said that I like that guy because he cooks in his kitchens. He does. The dude cooks constantly. That's the kind of chef I am. That's the kind of chef I've always really enjoyed working for. And the chefs who are just in the office all the time, fuck them. I hate those guys so much. And I try not to be that guy. And the chefs who just cook and are not good at the office stuff, you're not really a chef. You're a really good cook. That's different, right? Bayless seems to be able to do both. He's also managed to sort of dodge the white knight gentrification thing because he was a... 
uh, anthropologist first. That's what he studied in college. He went to Mexico. He learned from, like, the people. And he found, you know, quote, authentic recipes for whatever that term is worth. And he brought all that to Chicago. And he, like, employs as many disadvantaged people as he can. And he, like, does that thing on purpose. He takes his Mexican staff. He takes their... Uh, recommendations and their their input on how to make the food and i respect all of that stuff you cannot be a chef in america in 2023 and say you've never worked in a restaurant where the staff acted badly that is a lie or like steve just said you're oblivious sorry that's just not possible and in the the paragraph that i um thought maybe it was near uh anyway when he says he says quote i'm trying to point out that how we portray the restaurant business and pop culture is important, unquote. I agree with that, 100%. Yep. yep. Um, the next one, uh, quote, trying to convince people that our profession is not only a uh, viable but positive choice is hard to do when pop culture portrays or pop culture portrayals and new media coverage only focuses on exaggerated negatives, unquote. I mean, like, I get that. Like, if you're if you're an advocate for, like, let's, let's get people into the business. However... Um, have you heard anything about what was go what went on in horses out in California? Yeah. Or the island up there where the they ran to Mexico uh, after it closed um, off of Seattle or whatever it was? Right. right. Um, it, uh, and, and some of these other places, all the Me Too stuff. Um, have you heard of Mario Batali? I mean, it, yes. Um, we, we want people to understand it is viable and it can be a positive experience. Um, However, if you t just if that's all people know, and then they end up working for Mario Batali, or they end up working in horses, then they're gonna leave disillusioned and never go back into the industry. Yeah, I would argue against this quote, where he says new media coverage only focuses on exaggerated negatives. First off, exactly what you're saying: show both, right? Show that you can have a career and a career path in restaurants, but also show the dangers, right? I would also argue. They're not exaggerated negatives. They are just that, that it has been lauded. The show has been lauded by people like me and people outside of the industry is just being really realistic. It's not exaggerated. I'm seeing shit in this show where I'm like, how has nobody gotten stabbed yet? Right? Like the amount of yelling at each other these people are doing. If anything, it's a little bit tamped down, right? <laughs> because I get the feeling if you were to exaggerate it, if you were, so if you were to take the behaviors that I've seen in my career, and exaggerate them in a show, it wouldn't be believable. It'd be cartoonish, right? right? You still need to make it look like those are actual human beings. I would argue these are uh, artificially depressed negatives. Yeah. Well, and and we're not – we've never looked at a kitchen like that. And even the kitchens that you've worked in when you were younger and some of the places that yeah. you learned a lot in, we, we, we've never glorified any of those. Right. Um, it's always been like, look, the mistakes were made. Things need to change, and they can't change if we ignore the things that are going on. And um, I, I think that's you're talking about exactly the right thing. I think Rick Bayless's issue is that he sees that show as being glorification of the negatives, and I also disagree with that. It's just putting it on Front Street or wherever they are downtown. Right? Yeah. And that is enough to scare people who have probably carved out a nice little spot for themselves in the industry basically what Bayless is saying here is hashtag not all chefs bad take that's a bad take fella yeah and um also is it only teen boys that should be thinking about <laughs> uh getting into the industry which is funny because Bayless only has one child and she's a daughter 
<laughs> so I mean, maybe he's saying that because the main character is a dude, but I okay. doubt it. I think that's I think that is his. That's him showing his ingrained prejudice. Yeah, just some right? unintentional unintentional bias uh, coming through there. Now, question for you: If my parents had seen the bear when I was fourteen and I was going into restaurants, do you think they would have let me take that job? Because yeah. I bet you the answer is no. You don't think they would have? No, no, no. If no, they'd no. seen the bear, yeah, you would. You wouldn't think they would have thought. Well, that's Chicago, and that's an Italian beef. You just want to go work at the little pizza place here in town. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I had forgotten the fact that I was raised out in the woods, and my parents would have seen that. My parents would have seen that as like complete bonkers fiction. Yeah, they wouldn't have been like, "Wow, restaurants are wild." Yeah. Or it would have been like, wow, restaurants in Chicago are wild. Yeah. Like there, there's the urban element to it that I think. The big city restaurants. And yeah. also it's like there are some professions that I think mothers, because this is just mother and son thing, if, yeah. uh, at yeah. least uh, in the quote, um, <laughs> that it's like, uh, yeah, you know what? If I watch NASCAR, sometimes the cars crash and my mom probably wouldn't want me driving the car real fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, getting into wanting to be a race car driver. But people still do. People still get into those professions somehow and they're dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? Bayless believes that that show is exaggerating the negative side of restaurant work. I'm four or five episodes into that first season. I have yet to see anybody do any drugs. If anything, it's wildly sanitized. Yeah. I guess they're smoking a lot of cigarettes, but that's bad in like 1988. Yeah. You know, like, come on. And is it, is it still true, though, that there's a higher percentage wait staff and back of house as well that, that are smokers than, say, just the normal population? Yeah, no question. Yeah. So and also then far, accurate. Like, as far as uh, substance abuse goes, restaurant work still ranks either number one or very, very close to number one. Yay for us. We get the trophy there. Yeah. And and uh, on the one hand, I want to say, you know, if, if it's true that he's never worked in a kitchen where people behave poorly... Yeah. Um, and and it's especially if that's true of the kitchens that he is in charge of in, in any way right now, then that's definitely a, an accolade for him. Yeah. And yeah. and and it is sort of disgusting that his kitchens then wouldn't be getting any press because. But this is true for anything because of just you know the way culture is that the bad news is the stuff that gets publicized. We don't you know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see the, uh, the the we don't see news about the places that are that are behaving the way they should. That's the way that's expected or, or whatever. Right. There's that too, and I believe he comes from a restaurant family. They had restaurants or restaurant in Iowa. Your staff behaves better when the owner's kid is around. So there's that. However, that may have been a good example for him to then how he runs his own shops. Great. Like yeah. you were saying, he should be lauded for that. And that's fantastic. I still think statistically it is impossible that he's never worked in a place where the staff acted badly. Yeah. Like, an <laughs> unbelievable statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that we don't want that to change. We want that like, to be true. We want it to yeah. be true. Or he did, and we need to go back and squeeze the juice out of that and figure out how to make that happen everywhere. Right? Yeah. Like, whatever that was... Unless he was always the boss's kid and everybody was on their best behavior when he was around. I don't know. Man, you need to try to get him on the show. Strike while the iron's hot. Be like, Rick. <laughs> we do I know anybody who knows Rick Bayless personally? I don't want to roast the guy, but I want to di like drill down into his experience then. Yeah. To find out what 
nectar he was exuding that made people behave really nicely around him because or, the other thing is that there's a matter of scale right so like if you're coming up in restaurants in the 80s bad behavior then and bad behavior now are not the same thing bad behavior then is like killed a guy yeah. bad behavior now is more insidious it's more insipid it's more grooming and sexual abuse and stuff like that right so like maybe he never saw anybody get shanked in the dish room that's a different scale of acting badly. And maybe there are things that you and I and people now would consider to be like, this is horrendous behavior that would have been totally acceptable because at least you didn't kill the guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And also a slim possibility that something happens in the series um, that you haven't got to yet yeah, or seen yeah. that, that could have been the uh, impetus for his um saying this but i i am i am definitely curious and yeah not not to roast the guy but i'm definitely curious yeah, like yeah what's your story what restaurants did you work in coming up how has that influenced you um what is your kitchen like so maybe some more research is done maybe like some other people he's worked in kitchens where they just bring a priest in and you can confess all of your oh. uh that's an excellent segue <laughs> absolutely excellent segue i did want to say one more thing about rick bayless though before we moved on yes I know, I don't know personally, but I know that there are a number of restaurateurs and chefs and stuff in Chicago who were consulted on the bear, and I know Rick Bayless was not one of them. So there's ever so slightly a chance that there's a jealousy factor here, too, which is like, why the fuck didn't you ask me to be part of your show? Yeah. Well, and the answer to that question might be, well, you know, we know the kind of, we, we know the restaurants that you run, and that's not dramatic enough for us. Yeah, you're too good for us. Yeah, yeah. So we need to talk to these. We need to talk to the people that are have have the scars on the face because those right. are the interesting folks. You know, your your kitchens run great and it's great food and all that jazz. But you know what? We need something for television. We need to, you know, the real world was never actually real. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh man. So let's get back to your excellent, excellent segue, Steve. You're a man of the cloth. You're a, you're a priest, right? <laughs> no, I've been to seminary, but I uh, I've not. Uh, uh, no, I, I'm not a man. Uh, yeah, I have no cloth. All right. So <laughs> this story is fucking wild. Yes. There so, is, so many levels. There's a restaurant group that has several restaurants in Northern California. Uh, Taqueria Garibaldi. As far as I understand, Garibaldi is a Italian name, so I'm, I'm confused right off the bat with that. <laughs> this is from USA Today. California restaurants used alleged priest for employee confessions must pay $140,000. So, credit to Emily DeLetterer, USA Today. A California restaurant must pay employees $140,000 in back wages and damages after using an alleged priest to hear worker confessions. Steve, first take on this. What do you think? Alleged priest? <laughs> Well, first of all, uh, before I even read it, I just responded to you with laughter um, because it seems so uh, it seems like a Scooby-Doo plot to try to figure out who's stealing stuff from your kitchen. Right. Right. I mean, this is skipping to the end a little bit, but the Sacramento Diocese uh, looked into it. And when the Department of Labor asked them about it, said, we don't know who that guy is. So yeah. when they say alleged priest, this is some dude. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe first name of priest. <laughs> maybe <laughs> right, a member right. of the band Judas Priest. So, quote, The priest urged workers to get their sins out and asked employees if they had stolen from the employer, been late for work, had done anything to harm their employer, or if they had had bad intentions toward their employer, according to a release from the Department of Labor. So basically, this company, this, this restaurant group, 
decided that they needed to root out some sort of dissent within the employees, and they brought in a fake priest to hear fake, quote, confidential confessions from them that they then used for retribution against those employees. Um, unless you're working with a group that is a, uh, a parachurch group or somehow related to the Catholic Church, if you hear the words, we're going to bring in a priest, you can put your two weeks in right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you're worried that the restaurant's haunted, like we talked about last week. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Unless it's for not for you guys. So we're going to be closed tomorrow so we can bring in a priest to, uh, right. uh, you know, exercise the demons of the re- Yeah, then that's fine. But, uh, yeah, if they're bringing in a priest to try to get people to confess, because the great, the huge irony here is that it's the restaurant that really needed to kind of confess because they were the ones yeah. that were not behaving appropriately. So it's the greatest hits. Quote, the findings follow an investigation that found Taqueria Garibaldi denied employees overtime pay for working over 40 hours a week, a, a week, paid managers from the employee tip pool illegally, threatened employees with retaliation and adverse immigration consequences for cooperating with the Department of Labor, and fired one worker who they believed had complained to the department the release from the Department of Labor states. So basically, people started to complain about, I'm not getting paid overtime, managers are taking tips, uh, they complain to the Department of Labor, Department of Labor has to let the restaurant know they're going to do an investigation. Um, Takaria Garibaldi brought everybody together and said, look, we don't know who it was who complained to the Department of Labor, but first off, we're going to call La Migra and get you sent back to Mexico if it was you, and or other retaliation uh, if they cooperated. And they knew the Department of Labor was going to be coming in and doing interviews. They were like, don't fucking talk to those guys. And people did anyway. <laughs> Which and shows you how bad it must have been. priest involved. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and just, this is an employer who is trying to manipulate um, or prey on uh, the fears and the beliefs of the employees. And this is something where it, it's very predatory toward people that they shouldn't, you, you'd think that they would have more empathy toward. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah and it's just, it's so disgusting. Um, and on the one level, on the one hand, I'm like, only $140,000? So, the, yeah, it must be the tips, the overtime, the one person who got wrongfully fired... They must not have huge staffs, because that would be based entirely on those hard numbers. Yeah. Well, I think only $140,000, and I think, well, that could be enough to sink a restaurant. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it seems like it should be a lot more, but um, just in terms of uh, uh, context, it, it's probably a decent um, amount. I, I forget how many locations it said they had, if it, if it mentioned it. but uh, I believe it's three. I think it's absolutely disgusting for you to pr- prey on your employees like this and for anyone, but I think especially so when it's people that you should have more empathy toward. Pray for, don't pray on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Said the priest as he left, uh, the quote-unquote priest as he hopped on his hog and uh, drove away. Now, that's the real question for me, and that's not the real question. Uh, that's one of my questions is, is there any legal recourse against somebody impersonating a priest for fraudulent stuff like this? Like, I bet there is, but I don't know how you would even prosecute that. Like, I want to know who that fake priest is. Yeah. 
Well, I guess it, I guess it really depends on how they were portrayed. But you'd think there'd be something, mean, something like that, because definitely, like if they brought in fake immigration officers, or right. which thankfully they didn't do, or at least th- that were aware, or fake police, or you know, yeah. fake Department of Labor people in order to try to figure out who it was that was squealing, uh, so they could get canned. Um, but uh, hey, owners of Taqueria Giabaldi, um, namely Che. Garibaldi, yeah. um, uh, you're you you were the scumbag here. You were the asshole. Yeah, and it's also, ladies and gentlemen, once again, especially if you're a wage employee right now, contact the Department of Labor. Right, like if some weird shit is going down, and it's the management because that's the management should be your first stop. If you have a problem with a, a fellow employee, you go to your manager. That, everybody knows that. That's fine. You have a problem with your manager, it gets a lot more tricky. If they are taking tips. No salaried manager in this country should ever take tips. Full stop. That's how that works. There's a law about that. Yeah. That should not happen. If a if a salaried manager is taking tables because there's not enough servers, that's their problem. They still should not be taking tips. They should never, ever take tips. The tips are for you if you're a server. They should not charge... Uh, credit card processing fees out of your tips that's not really illegal but it's a bad idea managers should not be taking tips when tips are pooled it's a little trickier but like you should be getting a printout out of the z report every day that shows what your tip out should be right it should be on there if you notice you're not getting paid overtime if you're not getting your tips if the managers are taking tips call the department of labor immediately they have binoculars focused right on the restaurant industry right now because this is happening so much they're going to believe you. Get your coworkers to do it. Call a bunch of times. It's like calling the fire department, right? If three people call the fire department, they send more trucks. Call the Department of Labor. Yeah. If your manager tries to retaliate, record them. Yeah. Tell the Department of Labor that too, right? Right. There are too many shitty, shitty managers and owners out there. Absolutely. Let's start weeding them out. And they will get away with as much as they can get away with. If, they, if you think, well, it's only a little bit, um, you know then it's tip of the iceberg, most likely. Yeah. Keep copies of your schedule. If you, like, retaliation can be as simple as you start getting the really shittiest shifts. The Department of Labor will ask you about that. Come with the receipts. Keep copies of your schedule. If you've got plum shifts where you're making a ton of money and you complain about something like this to your manager and suddenly you're working all shitty Tuesday lunches, Department of Labor wants to know that. Let them know. Yeah. It's not going to happen immediately. But this will result in you getting yours. For sure. And this is exactly the kind of change we need to see in the restaurant industry, and it's not going to be voluntary. Like Steve just said, they'll get away with whatever they can uh, until you stop them. And you have to call in the big guns for that. Yeah. And this is, I mean, <laughs> this is uh, uh, a taqueria with three with three locations, Mr. Bayless. <laughs> this is not good behavior. But, well, no, so yes. I take it back. The kitchen staff may have been behaving very right, well. Right, right. But this was, this was terrible behavior, not on the, uh, not from the chicken, or uh, chicken, not from the chicken staff. <laughs> yeah, the chicken, the chickens are behaving just fine. Not from the kitchen staff, but from the owner and the and the people uh, running the place. So I mean, th- there's that. There's that too. That's the other thing I wanted to say about Bayless that I forgot too is that he very specifically says that he's never worked in a kitchen where the staff behave badly. Tell me about the managers, Rick. Yeah, because that could also be the thing. Lots of people suddenly didn't know anything about your Mario Batali's when when Mario was like in danger of going to jail. 
But there were a bunch of people who suddenly were a lot nicer in the press because they didn't <laughs> want to be the next guy, right? So, like, again, I am not accusing Rick Bayless of anything. I'm just going to say you do think of staff at a restaurant and managers at a restaurant as being different creatures. And so if he says he's never worked at a place where the staff behave badly, he's not indemnifying the management at that point, yeah. which is where a lot of the bad behavior starts and really where it should stop. Yes. Yeah. Th th yes, absolutely. And by that, I'm I'm taking that to mean that they're the ones that can like in in charge of or uh, um, responsible for stopping it in yeah. the entire kitchen. Yep. Yeah. And like these folks here at at Taqueria Garibaldi, let's say they just got away with it. Now you have employees coming up, and maybe they're going to be assistant managers, maybe they're going to be floor managers, whatever. They see that example as this is how you run a restaurant. However, these guys getting in trouble, now you have three restaurants worth of people going, there's a thing I can't do. I will get in trouble by the federal government. And they're going to take that into their careers. These people got in trouble for trying to screw with our money, screw with our schedules. So when I am a manager, when I'm an owner, I won't do those things. That's important for them to see. Yeah. Thinking back to Terrible Bagel Place and uh, um, like when I first started, they're like, yeah, and if the if the drawer's ever short, just take it out of the tips. <laughs> and I was like, mm, I don't know. Uh, so I was like, so, and I, I like I double checked. I was like, so if the, um, I, 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 and maybe I sent an email first. I was like, I don't think that's legal. <laughs> and it is not. You can't, you can't make up the drawer from, from right. tips. No. Um, but then I, I also think about the guy who's like, yeah, I only want unicorns to work here. And by unicorns, <laughs> he meant people that would bend over backwards to do whatever he wanted them to do and to come in and work whenever he wanted them to work without, you know, probably getting more pay or anything like that. Um, so he didn't really mean unicorns. Not, And I'm not saying I was one because I'm, I don't think I could run a bagel place. I could probably run a bagel place better than him. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, some genius about that kind of thing. But uh, he wanted people that, that he could take advantage of is basically what he meant by unicorn. Um, there's, there's a sweet spot. So toward the end, the guy who, who called off one day because he was sick uh, and water made him sick. <laughs> we got to a point with that guy where he was not doing the job I hired him for. And I sat him down with, we have a thing called a, position control worksheet it sounds a lot more aggro than it really is i don't know why home <laughs> office calls it a position control worksheet it sounds like something you would hand to somebody programming a robot but like what it's it's a nice worksheet because what it does is it's got your entire workday in it and it's like here's the shit that needs to get done and here's when it needs to get done by because we do serve at a regular set of hours right and so when i sat this guy down the first time i was just like let's go through your position control worksheet and i will show you Again, what the expectations are, because that's what I like to do. Set the expectations, hold people to the expectations, readjust as necessary, right? Well, after we had that conversation, he started to carry the position control worksheet around and would say, that's not my job. <laughs> so there's a sweet spot between being the that's not my job guy who is like, letter of the law, here's exactly what I'm supposed to do. And then the boss is like, well, yeah. But, like, at the bottom where it says everybody helps out the dishwasher, that's just where I put it. It doesn't have to be after 1 o'clock, right? Like, whatever. And being the person who your former boss wanted to hire, which is somebody who would go in and is just like, use me for anything. I'm a blank slate. I'll do whatever. I'll work a bajillion hours a week. That's also not cool, right? So yeah. there's a sweet spot in the middle, which is here's the expectations for you. If you just do the expectations, fine. If you do a little bit more, 
I'm going to be thinking about you when promotions come around. When we lose people, when we have positions that open up, quote, above you. But that's, like, if you exceed expectations a little bit, you're in my sweet spot. Honestly, I get a little worried with my lead cook because she does way more work than she's supposed to, and I'm going to burn her out, so I have to be careful with that. <laughs> or they're going to move like, her to Wisconsin. Right. You can't hire somebody with the intention of you have to exceed my expectations all the time. That's right. fucked up. That's that's a bizarre worldview, right? Yes. Now, sometimes you can get that person who comes in, does exactly their job, is pleasant and whatever, and then leaves. And that can also be fine. Like, let people have their lives outside of the job, man. Now, is that person going to get the extra hours for the catering gig and stuff? Not necessarily, right? Like, I'm not going to lean on that person for the extra hours and the extra pay and whatever because I know that they're not going to want it. My lead cook does that stuff because I know she's always going to say yes. And because she wants that money, she wants that experience, she wants that extra stuff to do. Fine. The person who carries around their position control worksheet and goes, that's not my job. Well, you're not going to have a job fairly soon here. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that part of that worksheet, worksheet at least for you, is uh, um, would be stuff like um, if it's things that need to be completed by a certain time, it's not going to be so narrow that there would be something that wouldn't be part of their job because it's like, well, no, that leads to this thing getting yeah, done at this yeah. time. So, yes, that's part of your job. You see how those relate? Yeah. Right. And it's you can't talk to somebody once they because you can talk through most problems. That's. I feel like you can talk most everything out. Even if the answer is, yeah, maybe you shouldn't work here anymore. We can part ways amicably. Because if you've talked enough and things still aren't getting fixed, maybe it's just time to go. Like, not every job is for everybody. But if you've got somebody who's carrying around their position control worksheet and is like, I work to this and fuck you for anything else, not a good employee. Yeah. And while I am really big on the jobs need to be better... And the whole, like, quote, good employee thing is kind of antiquated. Like, yeah, there is still something to, like, there is a good employee and there's a bad employee. I'm not going to buy into this nobody wants to work anymore thing. That's what bad employers are saying. <laughs> Some people don't want to work. And that's always going to be the case. Maybe maybe they're a wannabe TikTok star and they were thinking, <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to try this quiet quitting thing in food service and see if that, see how it works. Because uh, yeah. I, I don't really think it's possible in the restaurant industry to to do the quiet quitting. Well, maybe, but not he wasn't or she wasn't. They weren't quiet quitting. Yeah, they were uh, they were loudly quitting. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and the things that I pointed to again, like again, you can talk your way through anything. Right. So the things that I pointed to and said, like, here's the things you're not doing that you need to do. And they're explicit. Then he didn't fix those things. So that was easy enough to just be like, yeah, you, I gave you a shot. You didn't fix it. Our next step is either. You put in your two weeks notice and, and leave amicably and whatever, or like you're just going to get fired for this. And that's not up to me, but I've now had a discussion with you. This is documented. You are not doing the things we hired you for. And the next time I see it, it's it's going to be a write-up. And after that, it's going to be fired. And then he quit. So it ended up working out fine. He didn't quit the way you're supposed to. But then the other thing, like, I understand the procedure in my home office is give two weeks notice. Otherwise, you're not rehirable by my company ever again. And that's kind of bullshit because, like, if I was going to fire you, I'm not giving you two weeks' notice. Yeah. So that's still that's still a weird power thing for me. But, like, I get to lean on the home office procedure for that, which is like, this is not my rule. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I get to be a coward about that. Yeah, yeah. In a standalone restaurant, it's different. In one of Rick Bayless's restaurants, this would never happen. 
Nobody <laughs> nobody acts up in his restaurants. <laughs> He's never had to fire anybody a day in his life. <laughs> <laughs> I I should be nicer to Rick Bayless, but I you can't say something like that in public and not expect people to be like, Rick, yeah. what? Well, and like you said, we're not trashing him. We're just poking fun at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, Rick Bayless, if you want to come on the show and set the record straight, fuck, I'll have you over to my house. You can sit here in the basement with me. It's a mess, but, like, I have kids that live here. Yeah. We can talk this through, bro. Or have been to one of your restaurants. Give him some food. There you go. <laughs> Let's record this at Joko. Is that still a restaurant? I don't remember. I haven't been downtown Chicago in fucking forever, all right? It's been COVID out. All right, I need to take my son to his baseball camp in a little while, but I think we have time for one more, not even really a story, but like this is the beginning of something, Steve. So, food safety news. Again, my favorite publication of all time. (laughs) This is from June 23rd, this is a little while ago. USDA's regulatory approvals are in for the two lab-grown chicken operations. All yes. Right, so we are looking at robot meat sooner rather than later. Robot meat? We need to come up with a shorthand for this. Test um, tube meat? Lab meat? Romy? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Future I don't meat? Know. It's la- lab-grown meat is uh, probably more appropriate. So, uh, la- uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll think of something. So we already have dowberries. Yeah, we know what that. We all know what that means. What are the companies that are do? Uh, where are they? If they're listed, Upside Foods and Good Meat. Good Meat sounds dirty. <laughs> like, uh, I gave her that Good Meat. Yeah, <laughs> you gave her some Upside Foods. <laughs> all right, we'll workshop it. So. Yeah. <laughs> As expected, this is a quote from the article, as expected, the USDA has followed Singapore by approving for the United States the growth by two companies of animal cells into chicken products that one day might be sold to customers. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to highlight, you cannot buy lab-grown meat right now. Right. That's not where we are. However, this is a huge first step toward that because... Previously, you couldn't buy it for a number of reasons, but one of the big hurdles was that USDA wouldn't inspect it. They're like, it's not food, right? So, USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service, FSIS, is granting inspections to two companies, the previously mentioned Upside Foods and Good Meat. It also issued instructions to its inspection program personnel about their roles and responsibilities with regard to inspection and verification activities, in establishments that harvest or process so-called cell-cultured meat or poultry food products for human food. So not only are they going to start inspecting, but they're having to rewrite how they inspect for this particular kind of operation, which is great. Like, the fact that there are steps in place to be like, look, yes, we're going to inspect, but we need to look at different things. That's It's good to see that this is a a slower, more thoughtful process than I suspected it would be. Yes, I will say this. So it's Berkeley-based Upside Foods and Alameda-based, so both California, right? Um, oh, Alameda, that's where the nuclear vessels are. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, Alameda-based Good Meat Company with the affiliated John Biologics. What? <laughs> Wait, what? John Biologics? Uh, is this John Schnatter's new thing? <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Just John. Just John. And may and is it up John or is it like I don't know it's so at one point um USAA sold our mortgage to what's now the company's just called Mr. Cooper. Um and <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. 
the first time I got an email from Mr. Cooper about my mortgage, I was like, what? No, I'm not telling you any personal information. But uh, the theory was that it made it more, you know, now it seems like you're more on a personal relationship with it. It's like, no, I just, I want an institution to have my mortgage so that I know what I'm dealing with. But now I have to deal with Mr. Cooper. Um, so John Biologics, I don't know if it's that or if it's just some guy who happened to have the name John Biologics. Hi, I'm John Biologics. Eat my chicken. Or if it's a division I, of, no, like, I, up John? I think it's a typo. Okay. There is a thing called JOIN Biologics, which is an acronym, J-O-I-N-N. -N, okay. And it's in San Francisco. I think this is a an autocorrect issue. Although John Biologics now, like, that's a pretty good jam band name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's up for grabs now. Um. It does not say on this particular website what the acronym stands for. I think you're right. It must be, though. It a, has uh, to be. Uh, yeah, it was an autocorrect. Um, okay, I, I feel better about that. Because otherwise, it's like, especially because you'd made the good meat joke, and then it's like affiliated <laughs> with John Biologics. I'll show you my John Biologics. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah join and join makes more sense just in terms of that being an acronym it sounds like something where the acronym came first we're joining cells together to make meat i know let's call it join biologics um this seems to be a company that manufactures drugs like a uh pharmaceutical company yeah but i don't know if they develop the pharmaceuticals themselves or if they just are manufacturing like the physical pills and such got it got it join biologics provides you with quality value and a comprehensive range of services across all phases of the drug life cycle <laughs> i don't know if you had if you had a motorcycle that ran entirely on aspirin i would ride the drug life cycle no question some just some tron shit right there um so steve i just off the cuff feelings about this is a a strong next step toward lab-grown meat how do you feel about that uh, i'm so far i'm okay with it my thoughts in terms of this reaching the market are uh, that i would try it but i would also want it clearly labeled that it's lab-grown I think that Agreed. is important. I don't think we need to obfuscate the fact that it's lab-grown meat, but uh, um, I'm willing to try it. I'm, I'm, uh, I think it's uh, uh, an interesting um, idea. So to see if it will ever be actually viable, I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, I like science fiction, so. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that's the draw for me as well. Like I'm here for the sci-fi aspect of it. I don't, because I mean, proteins are fairly simple. It's a fairly simple, simple in the structure of like molecules, right? They're not terribly complicated things. And if you can figure out a way to put them into some soup and they turn into a chicken breast, fine, right? Like I have no, even though I have live chickens that live in my backyard and I feed them and I take care of them and I they give me eggs and it's a great relationship we have. I don't feel any emotional attachment to them in the way that animal rights activists tend to do right i'm not gonna uh defame them at all like people feel the way they feel and a lot of animal rights activists are like killing these animals is making them sad fine like that's an argument i don't really care i do really strongly feel that like if animals weren't supposed to be eaten why are they so goddamn tasty right <laughs> our teeth are designed front and back and side to side to eat everything in the world including meat that's why we have canine teeth but like 
if it ends up being environmentally better, cheaper, faster, more safe, I'm here for all those things. It doesn't have to be all of them. Yeah. But let's say there's no difference whatsoever between a chicken breast and a lab-grown chicken breast, but I know the lab-grown chicken breast used 1% of the water, 3% of the land, and there's no waste. Right. Yeah, I'm probably going to buy that. I'm probably yeah. going to buy that thing. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing, too, because, I mean, where they're, it's near some, like, uh, um, pig farms. They have, the, like, the, the pits of just... Settling pools. Yeah, yeah and, and stuff like that. That's, yeah, that's gross, and it's not great for the planet. So if we can do that kind of stuff without that kind of thing, um, like you said, setting aside any ideas about uh, um, treatment of animals or whatever, there are other benefits to this, too. And I guess part of me is just so curious because I do wonder... Um, like when we would visit my grandfather's farm when I was growing up um, and he knew that we were going to go over to the cow pasture or whatever, it'd be like, don't, don't uh, bother the cows. Don't make them run. Um, yeah. And so there's things like in the development of an animal in terms of muscle tissue, the reason the dark meat is dark is because they're what the chickens walking around on all day. They got a lot more. Um, movement and were used a lot more and uh, it changes th- how the meat uh, tastes and looks so um what can be duplicated in lab grown meat and what can't yeah. i mean are they going to be like with electrodes um exercising the <laughs> the muscles to create dark meat can they make a chicken breast or can they only make chicken cells that are then going to be put into a uh, a nugget or you know that kind of situation right, right, right. um or can they be like uh you know no this is like a, a chicken breast this is like a chicken thigh chicken thigh meat or whatever i don't know i'm fascinated i'm curious well and what you're talking about is myoglobin so as a muscle is used the myoglobin is the the chemical that is it a chemical it it helps uh transport oxygen to the muscle so the more a muscle is used the more oxygen it requires the more myoglobin is in there and it it there's more iron in there it's got more richness to it so that's why yeah chicken leg is dark and a chicken breast is not because they don't let chickens fly also chickens don't fly very well and they're kind of stupid so <laughs> I bet chicken brains are bright white as well. Uh, that's why turkey is like turkey breast meat is a little bit more rich because turkeys do fly a little bit and why duck breast meat is dark because they fly all the time. So that's a myoglobin thing. Could you just inject a crap load of myoglobin in there? I don't know. But again, I'm not a scientist. I worry a little bit that we're jumping ahead two steps because we do have an environmental crisis going on and to a large extent, Factory farming is adding to that problem, right? right? We've talked about this before on the show. If you have a farm and you have some animals and you have like a cyclical nature to like where your fertilizer is produced by the animals and they're eating the scraps from the plants and in some cases they're churning up the ground and they're doing their grazing and it's all like one thing. If you have like a holistic farming approach, right? Fine. And your your emissions and your waste are minimal and that sort of thing. But if you have this enormous herd of cattle and that's all they do you are producing stuff that's not being used right and so rather than fixing that and going back to a smaller scale farming model if we're jumping ahead to like nah we'll just science up some chicken yeah (laughs) it makes me worried that we're we're sort of skipping the part where we fix the existing problem right yeah i don't i'm I'm not trying to accuse these companies of being like "No, no 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 we'll fix we'll fix climate change with you know robot chicken I don't think that's what's going on, but at the same time, it does seem like, uh, well, we'll just get our chicken from here, and we won't have to worry about these environmental catastrophes that we're doing every other day. Yeah. 
this is not a fix. This is not a fix for factory farming, is what I'm saying. Yes. No. Uh, correct. Um, and, and that at some point, I feel like it does need to be uh, addressed. Um, and and like I, I, I don't know the intent, like how um, what the intentions were, but that the kind of farm you described is is I more or less the farm that I remember my grandparents having. They had some cattle, yeah. they had some pigs. I know that after the corn was uh, harvested, the pigs roamed that field um, because it wasn't going to be corn the next year. And the more kernels of corn the pigs found and ate, the fewer uh, stalks of volunteer corn would come up in that field when beans were planted or whatever was planted yeah, next. Yeah. My, the, my grandpa had a manure spreader that I'm sure was uh, a lot of the, from the cow uh pasture or or the you know the uh the pen over there and um uh maybe the pig too i don't know i don't know what is legal to spread where but um they would spread that on the fields and uh rotate stuff and um yeah so uh um i'm sure it wasn't um as complete as it could have been um but uh yeah that 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 type nothing is done on that scale anymore it's i need you know i don't need 40 acres i need 400 acres right and you know i don't need 50 head of cattle i need six i need 5000 head of cattle and um it's well i'm also like i'm not doing that work but i do support that work right so yeah. like when i go to farmers markets when i order there's a company go or a, a farm called Hasselman Farms that I order from. When we go up to Michigan later on this week, like I'm going to go to the farms that have this kind of stuff. There is a farmer's market right downtown Traverse City. I'm going to go to that. That's the kind of work I'm doing, aside from the gardening of my backyard and my chickens. Like, I can't do that work, but I can support it. Yeah. And that's that's the part I'm doing. Absolutely. And and um, little by little, <laughs> I've never seen a fa- I've never worked on a farm that's mistreated anybody or a... <laughs> Right, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's the the way to do it, and then yeah, um, is to uh, support the the farms that are that are doing it, and as much as you can, and the others as little as you can. But it it uh, something needs to be done because the it, everything seems to build to the to the factory farm. Things don't. I've never heard yeah. of a. I've heard of factory farms taking over smaller farms. I've never heard of a smaller farm buying a factory and then, <laughs> you know, reverting it back to uh, 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 the more holistic way of farming. But you yeah. know, yeah. And that's where you would hope farmers will the small scale farmers will come together and have some sort of a coalition and start to do that but again it's probably not economically viable which yeah. is always going to be the hang-up yeah yay for ending on a happy note so <laughs> i have to get a move on here because i'm taking my son to baseball he's in a baseball camp this summer so so proud go making it bacon. is a little interesting what's that go making bacon right right it's interesting to me he thinks that he can start playing baseball at 14 i started playing when i was five i was pretty good but like i hope he doesn't get discouraged that he's not the best kid on the team three weeks into playing baseball we'll see so this is not a podcast about baseball unless <laughs> you're trying to make people uh change their mascot because you are a vegan who's hiding behind a crazy crazily named organization yeah steve that's all i've got today Ditto. ladies and gentlemen if you like taylor want to send us an article again best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com or my uh instagram where you'll see all of the bread and stuff that i make which is chef ben randall 
We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group if you just look for In the Weeds with Chef Ben Randall on Facebook. And Steve runs a website for us. In the Weeds WBR.com. And we should also thank, is it Anna? Um, yes. In, uh, no, in Andrea. Andrea. Or Andrea or Andrea. Um, uh, thank you for the email. We'll get to that eventually. But yes, thank you for responding. Our listener in Germany still exists. Yes. Yeah. Happy to know you're still around. And uh, yeah, I am going to put together a, uh, or we will put together a listener mail kind of an episode because we do have some things that we haven't talked about yet cool. that are on that docket. Yeah. I think that's all I've got, Steve. All right. Me too. I am headed back out into smoky Chicago and then I'm going <laughs> to hopefully drive up to not smoky Traverse City later on this week. We can talk about stuff that I do up there on next week's show. Sweet. For In the Weeds of Ben Randall, I'm Ben Randall. And I'm Steve McCadwell. Talk at you sometime in the next week or so, I guess. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.